And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here, and welcome to the summer of 2021. You're just moments away from the best summary of where we are right now on COVID-19. A can of pet food, where every ingredient matters. Some companies like to brag about their first ingredient, but the Acana Pet Food team is proud of their entire bag. That's because every recipe has been thoughtfully sourced and carefully crafted with the highest quality ingredients, starting with quality animal ingredients, balanced with whole fruits and vegetables. Acana Pet Foods are rich in the protein and nutrients your dog or cat needs to feel and look their best. Available in grain-free, healthy grains and singles for sensitive dogs. Acana, go beyond the first ingredient. there Peter Mansbridge here this is uh, the Monday of weeks whatever it is 66 of the bridge since we started going daily with COVID-19 and this week leads to a hiatus we're actually going to take a break well it's not a hundred percent break we're still going to do shows on fr- uh, excuse me on Wednesdays uh, smoke mirrors and the truth we'll do it every Wednesday through the summer But we're going to take a break for probably four or five weeks on the daily show. Um, First break, as I said, in a long time. And uh, we're looking forward to it, as I hope you get a chance to take a break as well from whatever you've been doing for the last 65, 66 weeks. Uh, Wednesdays, as I said, Bruce Anderson will be by. We'll do Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth from wherever either one of us happen to be. But the rest of the show, the regular bridge, will be on hiatus until such time as it's clear that we're going to be having an election this summer. And if it is this summer, then we'll be back. You won't miss a day. We'll have special election coverage throughout the campaign. I'm really looking forward to uh, making the bridge kind of a place that you have to check into on a daily basis to really understand what's happening on the campaign. We'll be following it closely, obviously. We'll have um, Bruce will be around. Chantelle Bear will be around. There'll be a number of other journalists and friends of mine uh, who I have relied on over the years who are going to give us a sense every day of where we are on the campaign. So you don't want to miss that. We'll also obviously keep uh, track in terms of what the polls are saying. Uh, you know, <laughs> I always have trouble with polls. But they're also a good barometer of kind of where we are uh, on the uh, on the campaign. So we'll keep an eye on those as well. And obviously, Bruce does some with Abacus Data. So uh, having an expert in-house will be uh, certainly helpful for us. So that's a sense of where we are and what we're doing. What about today? Well, today I want to I want to talk to one of our. Um, infectious disease specialist who's been with us all through this and they've been great you know them in halifax edmonton toronto and hamilton and we've kind of circulated around got a different sense from i mean they're all infectious disease specialists but they don't all necessarily think the same way but they've all been great and uh we're indebted to them giving us time today it's dr isaac bogotch again and what I wanted to do with uh, the good doctor was really get a sense of exactly where we are on the big picture. 
There's also a number of questions, some of which you sent in over the last few days, and they're all good ones. So we're going to have that uh, and listen to Dr. Isaac Bogotch. And what, uh, enough rambling, Peter. Enough already. Let's get things started. Here he is. All right, well, let's, uh, let's start with a general question. Where are we in this saga? Where are we on, on this whole story right now? We're very, very far along the path to what we remember before COVID-19 or BC, as some <laughs> call it. Uh, obviously, the vaccines are rolling out and, you know, we reached a major milestone, right? 75% of eligible Canadians have had at least a first dose. 20% of eligible Canadians have had their second dose. Cases are crumbling in the vast majority of the country, minus a couple of hotspots that, of course, still need attention. Hospital capacity is improving and, and the hospitals are decompressing. Like, all the arrows are pointing in the right direction. It's not time to get complacent. It's not time to celebrate. It's just helpful to know that we're well on the right path. And then you've got different provinces who have slightly, well, maybe not so slightly different reopening plans. Some are going gangbusters. Alberta, July 1 is basically open. Ontario is probably on the other end of the spectrum, taking a very methodical and slower approach to reopening. And you've got a bunch of provinces in between. Um, I still think at the end of the day, as a country, we're doing rather well now, but you know, we got to be careful. We still got to watch this closely. We don't want to turn sideways, carry on this path. We're doing okay. Part of the fear of it turning sideways is um, is the Delta variant, and there's much you know talk about about it. Sometimes I sort of think that all that talk does help get people to their second doses. Uh, it you know inspires them to get in there and, and stop waiting around. Let's get in there and get it over with. Um, are we? Are we overstating the Delta variant? We're not. Uh, we're not. I, we're, we're definitely not. I think if we're, we just have to be honest and transparent, simple as that, it is more transmissible, very clearly more transmissible. Um, and it may, there's early evidence demonstrating that it may cause more significant illness. Sometimes people say, oh, it's hard to predict the future. We're not quite sure what's going to happen. But the answer is you do know what's going to happen. You just have to look at the United Kingdom. There are a couple months ahead. And you're watching it play out there. You're watching it unfold there. What's going to happen here? Same thing. It's going to take over. It's going to be the dominant variant. If it already isn't the dominant variant, whichever part it's circulating in, it will be the dominant variant soon. And it's more transmissible. It will find unvaccinated people. It will find under-vaccinated communities. It's just a matter of time. It is going to find us <laughs> if we're not vaccinated. The other beautiful thing that came out of the UK recently is basically demonstrate you know uh, great data demonstrating that the vaccines that we have work like great we're in good shape we know the mrna vaccines provide significant protection against this variant we know the astrazeneca vaccine actually provides very good protection as well so we're in good shape with this variant as long as we stay ahead of it and what does that mean it means we got to vaccinate quickly by getting a first dose in as many people as possible and the job isn't done even though we've got 75 percent eligible we've got to continue to lower any possible barrier to vaccine as possible, any barrier at all. And you can see the different regions doing various, having taken various strategies to do that. But we really got to get that number higher and, and really got to get into the, I don't mean any disrespect by this, but we've got to get into the sort of harder to reach communities, people that may have language barriers, 
mobility barriers, technology barriers, any possible barrier to vaccination, we've got to, we've got to reach those communities. And of course, we've got to follow up very quickly with a second dose. We're going to have the vaccine available to us to do this. Tons of it are pouring into the country. And it really is our ticket out of this. And the more people we vaccinate, obviously, the better. We're getting there. We're getting there. Now, the Delta variant, obviously, is not the first variant to come along. We had a couple before that as well. And I assume there are going to be more coming. That it's just that that is the way uh, of a situation like this. There will be more variants and they may be not as bad as Delta, maybe worse than Delta. Right. I think the only question to ask from a Canadian perspective is, do the vaccines work? That's really the only important question, because we have access to the vaccines. We have the capability to vaccinate our population rapidly. And, you know, if the vaccines work as Canadians, we're going to be okay. Obviously, taking a more global look at things, they're not okay. The world is not okay. Right. Delta variant. We just saw it rip through India and Nepal and other places in South Asia. And even in the UK, where they have very significant vaccine coverage, it it finds unvaccinated people and under vaccinated communities and will rip through them as well. And like this is this is going to cause a lot of deaths globally. It is that transmissible and it probably does cause more significant illness. Now, luckily, we live in Canada. Luckily, we have a tremendous access to vaccines and we have a robust healthcare system to, to keep us safe and protect us. And we have public health infrastructure working gangbusters to get everyone vaccinated. Um, you know, you look around the world, obviously, it's pretty clear most places aren't as fortunate as we are. And, and sadly, they're going to they're, they're get walled by this. Well, as you say, I mean, it, it will find a way. If it can get in, it'll find a way, which is part of the other question about getting in. I mean, there's a lot of pressure to reopen the borders. How do you feel about that? I know there's it's, I know it's right not now. your I know it's not your job <laughs> to worry of all the other things you have to worry about. <laughs> we wrote the uh, guidance, the uh, playbook that's on the federal government website. So yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, where we're at now is we're in a, a period of rapid transition, right? It doesn't. So we need a plan that really accounts for you know, the ground, the, the risk on the ground and the plan. It's okay for this plan and for policy to evolve as risk changes. But currently I think it's really fair and reasonable to say, if you're fully vaccinated, you can travel a lot more freely. You can, you know, you don't pose as significant risk to bringing in uh, COVID-19 and spreading it throughout the community. Of course, the risk isn't zero, but it's really, really low if you're fully vaccinated. So I think we should start to, approve and, and, and afford fully vaccinated individuals the all the privileges that come with that, including much freer travel. Um, and I think it's also fair to say that if, you know, you are a resident of the country of Canada and you want to get vaccinated, you pretty much in the next six weeks will have every opportunity for a first dose and a second dose, you know, at some point, by late July or mid-August, at some point in that time frame, any Canadian who's eligible will have had access to a vaccine. Yes, there's barriers. Yes, yes, I get it. But like by and large, we're we're swimming in vaccines, and you know we can't vaccinate fast enough. They're actually one of the rate limiting steps is actually delivery, not supply. 
um, at least that's starting now. So like in the next six weeks, you know, we watch that 20% of fully vaccinated people. That's just going to set, that's going to skyrocket. So yeah, I, I think the borders are obviously a, an issue, but it's time to start seriously reconsidering our current border policy, which we're going to have announcements for and start to allow more free travel across the border, obviously within reason and obviously being careful. And like anything else, if you've got to pivot, pivot, right? But you, you need the data to ensure that you, 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 you have to pivot. So I think even fully vaccinated people who might have more free travel across the border should still get a swab when you come in. Even a, a random sample of them should get a swab. we got to know what variants of concern are circulating globally and, of course, within the country. So I think we're, we will start to see a softening of the border, as we should. It just has to be done in a careful and methodical manner. Let me just ask you one question on the, the vaccine percentages, because we had the uh, uh, Minister Anand on on this uh, program last week, and she was uh, she was great actually at explaining just what the process had been in terms of purchasing. But she made a prediction that said by the end of July, so in other words, in five or six weeks, uh, we'll be at eighty percent of those who are eligible on fully vaccinated. You think that's reasonable? We're about to find out. (laughs) Commercial. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing. Remember, though, it's one thing to have the vaccines in the country. It's another thing to have them allocated to the province. It's another thing to have them allocated to the various public health units within the province. And then it's another thing to actually put the needles in the arms. So while there may be enough vaccines by, you know, the tail end of July to have 80% 80% of eligible individuals fully vaccinated, you know, maybe it'll take a week or two longer than that. But I'm based on all the numbers and everything coming in. Yeah. It's pretty reasonable. But like mid August, you know, maybe this isn't an entirely true statement, but by mid August, if you're not vaccinated, it's more about choice than about access, you know, still, of course, there's the caveats, right? There are populations that don't have the same degree of access. There's barriers and and, and there's significant programs to reduce those barriers. But by and large, it's going to be more and more choice than than access by mid-August. And, you know, obviously the policy has to keep up, right? If you've got a fully vaccinated population and we don't have variants of concern that exist yet that evade vaccination, it's really time to start thinking about shifting farther toward normalcy than you are. Um, and I think we're going to be in a period of tremendous transition, tremendous transition throughout the summer and the early fall. When we look at, you know, number of people allowed to get gather in outdoor settings, number of people either allowed to gather in indoor settings, uh, people going back to work, kids going back to school, uh, travel across the border, like, you know, conferences, like things are, it might not be normal, normal, but it's probably going to shift really close. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, not to compare us to the United States, but let me compare us to the United States for a second. If you look at the hot, I'm watching hockey these days, I'm watching these yeah. games in Vegas or <laughs> New York, 20,000 people screaming in a stadium. Like it's amazing to see that. And we'll get there. Like we really will get there soon. I don't know when, but we will get there soon. It's pretty exciting. When you've got a huge segment of your population vaccinated, you can do that. All right. You mentioned um, you mentioned kids, so I want to ask you a kids question because I get I'm sure you get this a lot, and I've been getting it a lot in the in the kind of listener mail, which is you know twelve and under, not happening yet, 
maybe happening soon. I don't know, but it's not happening yet. And they want to know how they navigate the summer as we head into it now. How do they navigate the summer with their kids who are not vaccinated uh, in a world that's starting to look very open? Yeah, you got to be careful. I think it's fair to say a few points. One is kids, of course, can get infected. Two is kids, of course, can transmit the infection to others, despite I don't know why some people saying something's contrary to that. Third is that kids generally don't get as sick as adults, but of course, they still can get sick and, and land in hospital. It's just much less common. Um, and, but, of course, but I think the other thing, too, is when you look at countries that are you know, more advanced than we are on the vaccine front, and you vaccinate the, for example, eligible populations 12 and up or in other places 18 and up, it just brings the community uh, burden of COVID-19 down dramatically, which makes it a lot safer for those who are unvaccinated, which of course includes the kids. Great. So that's probably the best strategy for now. Um, but, if, you know, we're not living in a zero risk era, right? Like even if things do start to open up, there's still going to be COVID around, just a lot less of it. Kids can still get it and can still transmit. I mean, Israel is a great example. Israel uh, has had very high levels of vaccination in eligible populations. And they just had a big outbreak of the Delta variant in the school setting where there weren't really any measures being taken to mitigate the virus because they had so few cases of the virus in the country. But here we have a, a big school outbreak. So I think when we sort of look in the crystal ball ahead, what the fall is going to look like, it's unlikely that kids will be vaccinated at that point, but maybe later on in 2021, but probably not by September. Um, and schools will be a bit safer because the 12 plus crowd, many of them will have had a, at least a single dose or probably a double dose, depending on what we deal with, with this myocarditis business, that's inflammation of the heart. But, um, but uh, so we'll still need to really focus on safe indoor environments, especially schools, which means hopefully smaller class sizes, better ventilation in the classrooms, wouldn't be surprised if we still see masks in, in the schools to some extent. I think that's important. If they're not vaccinated, they're still at risk. And you just don't want to see this rip through a school setting. What is your advice on masks? I, I'm getting that from, as I'm sure you are once again, yeah. from people who are double vaccinated. Right. And I mean, feeling that, you know, perhaps I should keep wearing a mask. I mean, some yeah. places you have to, like in airplanes or what have you. But generally... Right. It's like, you know, when you ask your mom and you don't like the answer, so you go ask your dad. That's like asking the U.S. CDC and then asking health care, you know, public health in Canada. So the U.S. CDC, I thought, had very practical interim guidance. And they basically said, listen, this is this was a while ago. They said there's more and more Americans that are fully vaccinated. You still have to public, you know, adhere to the public health guidance in your area. But hey, listen, if you're a fully vaccinated person, you can get together with other fully vaccinated people, have a small gathering in your house. You don't need a mask. You don't need to physically distance, you know? And I thought that was very practical advice. They said, you know, go hug your grandkids if you're fully vaccinated. Great. Like these are questions that people had that were very pragmatic. Uh, we haven't heard that from public health authorities at the provincial or federal level in Canada. We don't have guidance. And I appreciate that many people, no protection that's afforded to them by full vaccination and are just quietly doing this on their own. Great. But many people don't know this or are shell-shocked from the last 15 months, who wouldn't be, and are really looking for a playbook of what is acceptable behavior. And we don't have one yet. And now that we have 20% of the population that's fully vaxxed, and that percentage is going to skyrocket over the next month 
that guidance is long overdue. And again, it's not for everybody. Some people sort of have this comfort level and risk perception and, and, and understanding of the data that's the protection that's afforded them. And they're just doing this on their own. And that, you know, Mazel Tov, we're all proud of you for that. But there's a lot of people that don't know that. And I think that's what the guidance, who the guidance would really be for. Um, next question. Um, a, a woman who's a, a PSW who got both her shots in like in January, February, early March, she was done is now worrying. Should I be thinking of a booster somehow? Should there, should there be a, a situation where I I'm in this kind of booster line? Yeah. When I think of boosters, I divide them into two parts. One is there's the booster that everyone's going to get probably later 2020, actually more likely sometime in 2022. And that's a booster that's going to really help protect us against variants of concern. Canada's purchased 30 something million doses from Pfizer for this. We'll probably all get a booster in 2022. Beyond that, I don't know. Maybe we'll need one, maybe we won't, but I think it's fair to say that expect a, expect a booster in 2022. So that's one arm. The second booster that we should talk about is, will there be some people who just need a bit more oomph as an immune response to protect them from COVID-19 now? Uh, so, you know, are there, for example, people over a certain age cutoff or people with certain medical conditions like organ transplantation or chemotherapy or other immunosuppressive medications where we know they're not going to mount the same degree of an immune response with two doses of COVID-19 vaccine? You still got to be careful. You can still get infected, uh, especially those groups. And do those people need a third dose or a booster? The answer to that is I don't know. I don't know. There's only a, there's some emerging evidence that's you know doesn't really come to anyone's surprise that those individuals don't mount the same degree of an immune response. We don't know what to do with that just yet, but stay tuned because I think there'll be a little more clarity over the coming month or two when we start to look at who is getting infected that's fully vaccinated. Um, and, and, you know, are there signals amongst the noise demonstrating that those people are disproportionately getting infected and perhaps having worse outcomes? So maybe that's in the, on the horizon, but I really don't know it at this point. Is there a danger of taking too much vaccine? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I just don't know. I truly don't know. I, it's uh, like usually you want data to drive the policy and we call these DFZs, data free zones. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I'd love to speak with some vaccine friends who are like, like they're titled, they're vaccinologists. And, you know, could you do that with a viral vector vaccine? Could you do that with an mRNA vaccine? What would be the repercussions of that? What are the potential side effects of that? Would you see more, for example, myocarditis with that? Would you see other adverse effects? Like, I really don't know. I had a friend ask me the other day who, who like me, uh, and I think like you, had started on AstraZeneca, um, but had decided, unlike me and you, I think, not to go to Pfizer, but to have a second AstraZeneca, which is fine. A lot of people have done that. But now he's going, gee, maybe I should have taken the Pfizer instead. So can I do two AstraZenecas and one Pfizer? No. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I said. Like, again, we got to timestamp everything, right? If we're talking today, the answer to that is no. But like policy is rapidly keeping up with the emerging data and the pace of scientific discovery is rapid. 
it is rapid. And like, hey, we might be doing that. Like, don't be surprised. We don't, this isn't really a Canadian issue, but if you look at the States, there was a lot of Johnson and Johnson that was given single dose viral vector vaccine. No one would be surprised if people who received a first dose of J and J are going to get a second dose of fill in the blank, either J and J or an mRNA vaccine. Like that would come, that would come to no one's surprise if that, if that happens with AstraZeneca though, currently I doubt it. I mean, it's kind of nice to look at the effectiveness studies out of the UK. Uh, One dose of AstraZeneca, uh, 71% effective in keeping people out of hospital with the Delta variant great data. Two doses of AstraZeneca, 91% effective at keeping people out of hospital with the Delta variant, like great data. So, you know, you got to ask yourself, like, is there really a need for that? If, if that, if that data holds up and stands the test of time, the answer probably is probably no, but again, data changes and we got to have the, uh, the, uh, the policy stay up to date with the data. Okay. You've been great with your time. One quick last question. Um, if, the minister's right, or even close to being right, that we're going to hit 80% fully vaccinated by end of July or middle of August or even end of August. Does that put us in the sort of herd immunity range? And if it does, what does that really mean? So not to rain on the parade, but it probably doesn't. And the reason it doesn't is because the Delta variant is more transmissible. And when you go into the herd immunity calculations and go beep, beep, boop, you realize that the threshold for reaching herd immunity is probably closer to 90%, probably closer to 90%. Having said that, people get pretty uppity when they hear, oh, we're not gonna reach herd immunity. But the answer is, it's okay. Herd immunity is a concept and it's a very helpful concept, but like, what, what are we looking for? We're looking to have this virus not impact us as it did over the last 15, 16 months. We're looking to get back to some sense of normalcy or some sense of the pre-COVID-19 era. If you have 80% of your eligible population or 80% of your population vaccinated, like you are afforded significant community level protection. There will be outbreaks. There will be periodic flare-ups in under-vaccinated areas and unvaccinated individuals. But if 80% of the people are fully vaccinated, like you are not going to overwhelm your healthcare system. You are not going to have to lock down. You are not going to have to go regress back to what we were dealing with over the last year and a half. You know, you'll still see COVID. It still will bring people into hospital. You'll still see cases. You'll still see breakthrough cases. But the vast majority of people that are vaccinated that get it are going to do just fine. The vast majority of them won't land in hospital. Yep, sometimes they will, and sometimes they'll die. It'll just be a much, much, much rarer event, and you know, we will be well on our, spe- our, our way to the, you know, 2019 lifestyle that we, that we remember. Um, having said that, that really rests on the assumption that we don't have a variant of concern that evades vaccination. And currently we don't. Currently we don't. So I think it's fair to say that if we, short story long, if we do achieve those levels of vaccination, we're in very, very good shape. Even if we don't achieve herd immunity, we'll have such great levels of community level protection that like we'll be, we'll be, you know, doing things that we did before with ease. Wow. Let's hope you're right. Um, You've been pretty right so far uh, every time we've talked to you and we really appreciate all these uh, conversations. So, uh, I mean, this, this podcast is heading off for a, for a, a brief summer hiatus so if I end up talking with you in the next couple of weeks, that's not a good sign. 
<laughs> we we want to make sure that, that that doesn't need to happen. But we do, uh, you know, obviously, once again, we thank you for all your time you spent with us, and we thank you for all the good work that you're doing. And uh, I, I'm so sure there will be a time at some point in the future when we talk again. So, Dr. Bogotch, so, uh, thanks, thanks so much. Have a good one. Take care. Yeah, bye. Dr. Isaac Bogotch, uh, University of Toronto, uh, University uh, Health Network, who's involved in many of the different uh, hospitals uh, in downtown Toronto and is a key player on a variety of different areas that relate to COVID-19 in terms of his advice and uh, suggestions on uh, everything from uh, the science of all this to the use of the vaccines. Um, he's been deeply involved. But in spite of being deeply involved, he's always found time for us and many other media organizations. And for that, we're all grateful. As I said before, all of our um, infectious disease specialists who have been a part of this podcast over the last however number of weeks it's been, 65, 66 weeks, uh, we appreciate their time. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to talk to Dr. Lenora Saxinger, one of uh, the other infectious disease specialists who we've relied on greatly. She's in Edmonton, um, and we want to talk about the Alberta story because it it's really interesting, right? Two weeks ago, they were the biggest problem in the country. Now they're on the verge of being the first to fully reopen. So what has happened in Alberta? We'll talk to Dr. Saxinger about, uh, about that tomorrow. Meanwhile, today, it's not something completely different, but it's a little different. And it'll come to you right after this. Okay, you're listening to The Bridge. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Uh, I'm in Stratford, Ontario today. And you are listening either on Sirius XM Canada, Channel 167 Canada Talks, or you've downloaded our podcast, The Bridge, on any number of the different podcast platforms where it is available. Our last segment today um, deals with a touchy issue as it relates to vaccines. Um, as you know, the debate is on in many parts of the country and in many different businesses as to what they can demand from their customers, their clients in terms of proof of vaccine. So I'm going to read you this little uh, story. It's You've heard of the Ryerson Journalism Review and the Columbia Journalism Review, um, the Washington Journalism Review. There are a number of these magazines, and another one is the Massachusetts Institute of Technology Review. And it's in that, the MIT Review, that I found this one. Here's how it starts. On the first hot weekend of the summer, Richard Knapp put up a sign outside Mother's Ruin. It's a bar tucked in Manhattan's Soho neighborhood. It had two arrows, one pointing vaccinated people indoors, another pointing unvaccinated people outdoors. Now, I think many people would find that reasonable, but clearly not everybody. 
The Instagram post showing the sign quickly went viral among European anti-vaxxers on Reddit. We started receiving hate mail through the Google portal, says Richard Knapp, estimating he'd received about a few dozen emails. I've been called a Nazi and a communist in the same sentence. People trying to impact his bar, his restaurant, trying to shut it out of new customers because of those signs. Now, doing this through using the portals to produce negative ratings, and it's not a new phenomenon. Throughout the pandemic, says the MIT Review, the tactic has also been employed to attack bars and restaurants that enforced mask wearing for safety. As pandemic restrictions have lifted, businesses like Mother's Ruin have sought to ensure that safety by requiring proof of vaccination using state-sponsored apps like New York's Excelsior Pass. It's kind of a vaccine passport. And we seem to be heading in that direction, folks, in Canada. Or simply flashing vaccine cards at the door. Practices that have instigated a second surge of spam reviews. And if you're wondering whether these spam reviews have an impact, they do. Because the spam reviews can determine a place that that restaurant's listed on, whether it's Google or whatever it happens to be. So the more negative the reviews, the further down the line you drop. Here's another one. In April, Marshall Smith instituted what may have been the United States' first policy requiring patrons to prove they were fully vaccinated against coronavirus at Bar Max in Denver, Colorado. He didn't think it would be a big deal to ask customers to show their vaccination cards at the door. I didn't consider the politics, and perhaps that was naive on my part, he says. Within days, his bar was slammed with one-star reviews on Google that took his average rating from 46 out of five to four. We were in the top 10 best-reviewed craft cocktail bars in Denver. It might not sound significant, but if you drop out of the first page of results, it's a big deal. You're out of top 10 lists. We don't do a lot of advertising because people look at our reviews. We've built six years of good reviews that's been chiseled away over a matter of months. Now, the article goes on, and I direct you to it if you're interested. The uh, MIT Technology Review. And uh, you can find it at uh, technologyreview.com. Simple as that. But, you know, are we in store for that? Is that already happening in Canada? May well do. I'm not sure. But we, with those numbers that you heard Dr. Bogoch talking about, and the rapidly increasing numbers of those who are double vaccinated and are going to have some form of card or passport or call it whatever you want to prove that, will bars, restaurants, concert halls, movie theaters, you name it, are they going to be asking 
for some proof of vaccination? And if they do, is there going to be a backlash on them? Something to consider. We'll see. All right, as I said, tomorrow we'll talk to uh, Dr. Lenore Saxinger in uh, Edmonton about the situation in Alberta. And we'll have a few more interesting things to talk about as well tomorrow. Wednesday, Smoke Bears and the Truth. Bruce Anderson will be by. See how that pump made out on the radishes. Thursday's Potpourri Thursday. Friday is, of course, the weekend special. We're here all week. And I won't be able to say that for a few more weeks after that. But we're here all this week. And looking forward to talking to you right here on the bridge. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again in 24 hours.